Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. God help you if you use voiceover in your work, my friends. God help you. It's flaccid, sloppy writing. I don't want you to be the guy in the PG-13 movie. Everyone's really hoping makes it happen. I want you to be like the guy in the rated R movie, you know? The guy you're not sure whether or not you like yet. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Today I am joined by Jeremy Fisk, but no Lee Carlo. No, no, no. He was on vacation, so he couldn't make it to Ant-Man and the Wasp. All right. So, but the worst part about it, he was on vacation in Delaware. Delaware. Yeah. Which Which apparently is still a state. state. state, (laughs) Yeah. I know everybody's registered their companies there, but I thought that's the only thing it was for was to... Was the it was like a tax harbor? Not to vacation in. No, certainly not. Um. <laughs> Wife's gonna divorce him. That's the worst vacation idea ever. Yeah. Um, today, without Lee, thank God, we're gonna uh, take a look at Ant Man and the Wasp, the new film from Marvel Studios. Um, and then we're gonna move on to <laughs> I don't know what because we haven't really planned it. And then we are going to wrap it all up with our top five male-female duos. So, how long have you been Ant-Man again? Not long. It just sort of happened. I wish I could fight bad guys like you. I seem to mess it up almost every time. Maybe you just need someone watching your back. Like a partner. Dr. Pym, I actually heard what happened to you. You opened up the quantum realm. That's when this crazy could be ghost who like walks through walls and stuff. Stole your tech. And now she wants to take over the world or whatever. Who would have believed that in your hour of need, you would turn to us? Not me. Because we robbed you. Do you remember? So, Jeremy, when I was um, when I was thinking of a question for you after getting out of Ant Man and the Wasp, I, I remembered something you've said several times on this podcast and in many of the different iterations since the beginning that you are a sucker for structure, that you love story in in film, and I think that that you're you more than any of the three of us. Um, that's important to you as a as a film watcher and reviewer, and perhaps even as a as a filmmaker. Um, and so I, I got to thinking that I wasn't, I'm not exactly sure what that means as someone who doesn't appreciate it quite as much as you do. Um, I don't know exactly what you mean by that. And I, but I did start thinking that I, I don't think Marvel movies are, are big on story and structure. I don't think that plot is the number one, um, thing that's important to them. Uh, I think they, they've, you know, for the as we talked about a couple episodes ago on our hundredth episode, they've they've done a really good job of of making um you know nineteen movies or maybe now it's twenty movies with Ant Man and the Wasp, um, and they've created what I think are these environments where these great actors can interact, they can have these action set pieces, they can have good writing in terms of dialogue. But I would say for the most part that I don't see structure and plot being um, particularly well. Uh, done in the Marvel films. I think it's kind of a secondary, kind of an afterthought. 
So maybe to enlighten me and the audience, you can kind of give us an example of first uh, of what you think is a good example of structure and story that um, has sort of moved you, like a, what motivates you to, to think that that's an important thing. And then second, kind of just talk about how generally these movies, you know, work for you without being big on structure. Sure. And um yeah, wow, put me on the spot there. But I, I think <laughs> no. I think um I think like Jaws is a perfect example of structure and story. It's a screenplay. Oh, okay, no, another one is like adaptation that comes to mind. It's it's structure it, it is a, a bit difficult to define. It's sort of a unique um category to place your uh movie watching or you're reviewing into but basically structure is something where the tone the characters the dialogue the plot they all kind of move together in a way that makes sense within the story itself sort of in service to the story in service to the story and there's there is a payoff to it there's a payoff that works and is satisfying as a viewer. Um, and that's like when we were having that discussion about Jaws and about the sort of structure they put in with the different, the, the way the characters relate to each other and their class systems and that sort of thing and how uh, Brody is, you know, that, that sort of passive character. But then in the end, he's the one who's able to make the decisive decision to kill the shark. Um adaptation another great example of like really really brilliant structure um actually i I think kaufman is is an example for for a couple of his movies um adaptation eternal sunshine and spotless spotless mind um great structure in those movies especially when it comes to being so self-aware in adaptation about writing a screenplay and still being able to pull off this um within the service of the story, this this plot and these character developments and everything that has these, this payoff where literally, and, and this is a perfect example, is adaptation, is where he's like, he literally talks about how, he, the character talks about how he doesn't want to make a story where in the end, everything sort of, there, there's action and people overcoming obstacles to succeed in the end. He doesn't want to do that. But of course, that's what he ends up doing and it makes a more satisfying movie. And structurally, that works out better because you as an audience member sort of have that sort of, in almost an inside joke into it and you can it, and you can pick up on that. And, it, and like you said, it services the story that it presents. Um, so, yeah, that being said... Ant-Man and the Wasp does not have any of that sort of thing. And I, look, I, I kind of walked away with it from this movie just going, like, what are we what are we doing? Like, honestly, like, what's the ultimate goal here? Like, I, I like these actors, you know, I, it's a fun enough movie. But like, this is this seems like it was just made just because they needed to keep making these i i don't know like it's just the plot the structure the character development they were all so paper thin that it's just like 
I don't know. I don't know what we're doing here. I don't know if I want to go see more Marvel movies, to be honest with you. There's just, what's in it for me, ultimately? Like, what am I getting out of this, like, experience in the end? Like, if I want fluff and I want to just sort of relax and not think about something for a while, I'd rather be home watching, uh, you know, eight Bob's Burgers episodes in a row than than try to sit through Ant-Man and the Wasp. And it's, I, I don't know, I think what's so frustrating about it is you have a lot of talented people and you have a lot of actors I appreciate. Like, I really like Paul Rudd. And of course, you know, there are historically great actors in here like um, Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer and Lawrence Fishburne, who we can get into <laughs> how they were in this movie. Um, but... I don't know. I, and maybe you can help me with this, Jabin. Like, what ultimate? What are we trying to accomplish here? Like, what is this doing for the cinematic audience? Who's seen what nineteen of these fucking films? Like, what are we doing? Yeah, that's a it's a it's a good question. Um, I, I like the idea of the original Ant Man, uh, the uh, the first Ant Man movie, as being kind of like Marvel light. You know, like the idea of. I mean, you've, you, we've seen with like Star Wars, for example, that, you know, people are getting a little fatigued with how many movies are coming out. And I think the, a strategic, a, a strategic way to, to tackle that and Marvel's done a good job at it is, you know, you've got this, the streamlined story, the ones that the main characters and, you know, it's, it, the, these are generally pretty light films, but they, they do have kind of a serious dramatic tone and, um, at some points and this, the, I would say the overall story arc is pretty dramatic. You're talking about life and death consequences most of the time, but then you've got these like little lighter movies spattered throughout like the guardian films and Ant-Man. I think I, I, I really liked the first one because it wasn't, it didn't take itself too seriously, but this one just felt like just so light. It was like fluffy, you know, it was like nothing happened yeah. in the movie you know, there was no, there was no villain really. There was no, um, uh, th there wasn't really any, nothing really happened. I mean, you've got this character and it, you know, everything got, just kind of wrapped itself up at the end, which I suppose is nice in a, in a Marvel movie where, you know, everything, where every other one is just continuing on to the overall story. But, um, I, yeah, I kind of had the same reaction. I mean, I wasn't quite as, I mean, I'm glad you're angry about it because maybe I should be more angry about it. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, it, 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 every, the, everything was so low stakes, you know? And, um, and I don't even mind low stakes. It's no, I don't like, either. Low stakes are fine as long as the as long as the stakes ser like service the movie. And I just feel like there was there there was no stakes almost in this. It was like this asinine dialogue about quantum physics all the time as, as everyone kept you know miniaturizing themselves and then getting bigger bigger and miniaturizing themselves and then getting bigger. I, I don't know. I just felt like. I felt like it was it was on a hamster wheel and it just had nowhere to go and then it needed to jump off at the end. Yeah, I mean I think that you identified a really important part here which was which is that um you know so much of this movie revolves around this this silly thing called the quantum realm which I you know I I watched the movie and I'm not even sure what it is. Um but I think it's the idea of going like subatomic that these, they shrink down so much that they're in this other zone, other, other world, um, this microscopic world. And I mean, to me, what was really interesting and fun about the first Ant-Man, which I thought was really a, a, an original vision and which, which kind of made me very interested in seeing this movie was, the, was this idea of, 
of playing with that aspect of size, but in the real world, like, you know, shrinking down and being next to a, a giant ant or, or, you know, shrinking down enough that you can flip, you know, sl- uh, fit through the slats between, you know, two pieces of metal and, um, and you know, that stuff is really, you know, it's, it's, it's a cool, it's, a, it's, a, it's at least an original way of doing visual effects, right? It's showing you something, you've, you, you know, you, you have some kind of, um, physical connection to, you understand like the, the the sort of the textures and, and the, the reality of it, but it's showing you something you could really never see, which I think is a, an original idea. But then in this movie, so much of those resources and that time is spent in this, like this, this kind of, um, I don't know. It's like a blob really. It's, it's not a real world. It's like a, it's like a subatomic sort of, um, you know, colorful world that really has no, has no anchoring, uh, anchoring in reality. And, and, and so th- that aspect of it was not as fun for me on this go around. Yeah, I agree. I, I enjoyed the first Ant-Man a lot more than, than this one. Um, but yeah, that, that sort of quantum world, I think lost a lot of people. Um, well, I guess I don't know. I, I, I at least it lost me as far as just the characters themselves seemed so uninterested in the, I hate to use the word stakes, but like the stakes of the reality that they lived in, they seemed so uninterested in it. And I think that, I mean, besides maybe that one, the ghost girl there, um, Ava, she's the only one that seemed to care, but she, she was this weird brooding, force that uh, was a bit of a one note yeah um and it didn't really it didn't pay off in any sense because it was sort of like this brooding uh, uh help me help me help me maybe i'm the bad guy and then at the end it was just eh, everything's fine yeah. um so and, and and like the mo the best moments in this movie were those few moments that the the filmmakers let the the movie breathe mm-hmm. and let and let the actors just have the screen and you could kind of tell where there was times where they're like oh we have some pretty funny actors and we you know Paul Rudd especially and actually I was really impressed with uh, Michael Pena in this movie as well as his sort of sidekick um, and they just sort of let them have a few moments where they could have that comedic um that comedic timing and it it would it became fun and you could have you could have a good laugh but i don't know i feel like i it it was just everyone seemed exhausted doing this especially like michael douglas and lawrence fishburne and michelle pfeiffer they all just seemed like all right i'm picking up a paycheck here that's what we're gonna do yeah um I don't know. Did you get that sense of just like everyone sort of dragging their feet? Because I'm sure half the movie they were all in green screen in this quantum realm that made no sense. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it didn't. It, 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 I think the I felt the overall effect of it, which was just like a lot less energy in the movie than the first one had. Um, the first one had this kind of kinetic um, humor slash humor humorful that's not a word but like you know this 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 sort of lightweight kind of um 
energy to it that that really drove the movie forward. It was almost like chaotic. It was almost kinet, you know, it was kinetic in the sense that it just kept moving the movie forward. Um, and it worked well with all the jokes and the and the sort of the the, the light tone. Um, but yeah, the, this one just felt like slogged down by it. Like all the um, the like the sort of the the interaction with the Randall Park character, the FBI agent, the you know those repeated returns right. to his house is uh, you know he, there's this I, it, it, the film takes place over two or three days and um paul rudd's character scott lang is is on the verge of you know finishing his stint in house arrest and but of course if he leaves the house arrest um before uh, that time is up he'll go to jail for 20 years and so there's these three or four segments where, uh, which I've never felt work in movies, these like repeat jokes where you basically see the same visual gag over and over again. Um, and I didn't feel like those really worked here. They, it was, um, it was just tired. And at the end, you know, that energy just wasn't there for this one. And so I think that that, and part of that must've been, uh, you know, sort of even, even Paul Rudd felt kind of sleepy like that. Uh, Yeah, definitely. I, I like him a lot too, but, um, and I don't think like I mean I agree I like Michael Pena a lot I don't think he was in, he wasn't he wasn't given as much to do in this one, um, yeah I mean it's a hard it's a hard line to draw I would imagine for like this uh, for the director um, Peyton Reed because like you know you kind of I, I I don't know if they stumbled on it but I, I feel like they this the first Ant Man was a somewhat unique movie in in what it did and and, and the tone it struck. Um, amongst the other Marvel movies as we discussed and um, like how do you go back and do that again how do you reinvent it in a way that makes it seem fresh um, I don't know I don't know how you do that but I, I don't think they did it here yeah no it's a, it's a it's a good point because like to bring it back to your first question the structure and the screenplay just kind of landed on its face it's like that example of the FBI agent coming back to the house over and over again. It's lazy writing. It's like, what Like, what are you ultimately trying to accomplish here? You're trying to get a joke across that every time this FBI agent comes to the house, he's there. And it's like, how, how good of a joke is that? Is it worth putting in there four times and with the same results every time? You know, like... Yeah instead of something different or building on it or trying to get to some interesting conclusion with the coming, like it was the same joke over and over and over again. And that's just, it's bad writing. It's bad structure. And I think, I think the screenplay is probably where you could point initially to why this didn't live up to maybe the first Ant-Man. And you make a great point as far as capturing that energy of the first Ant-Man again, because what was, unique and interesting about it was that it was out a little bit outside of all the other Marvel movies in its tone and humor. So that was kind of fun, but you're right. Like a lot of that first Ant-Man had to do with the discovery of becoming Ant-Man. Whereas this, you already know, you already know how that works. So basically the screen or, or the, the filmmakers kind of had to just kind of go overboard or underboard or however you want to describe it to show again and again, the technology quote unquote of this, um, 
you know, of this character, how he can shrink and get bigger and shrink and get bigger. Yes, you can play that to laughs, and sometimes it's, you know, somewhat humorous, but again, I feel like it was spinning its wheels, and, you know, it just couldn't, it couldn't find, it couldn't find any traction with any of it, and ultimately, because of that, became an, an exercise in nothing. Hmm. Why, why do you think it is that they don't place more importance on plot structure and story? I mean, cause that's gotta be what it is, right? I, I think, um, you, if, if that were important to these guys, they would invest more and in, spend more time in developing these screenplays. And, um, I mean, you're, you're, you're really, you're right about that. And I, I mean, I, I anticipated your answer here and sort of thought more about, um, you know, all, all these, I mean, and it might be a trend in movies in general. I mean, but not just with the Marvel movies, but, um, and, and it does, you know, it's a, it's a point that Lee always brings up this idea of lazy writing. And it does feel like that. It does feel lazy, like to just kind of throw people together. It's not, you know, you get this feeling that like, that like these, these people were just kind of thrown in a room and say, you know, go for it. And, and, and I think a lot of times because they've got actors like, you know, Robert Downey Jr. And, people like that who who have sort of a a, a natural charisma it work it works out for the best but um i it's weird because you don't you don't feel like you're missing that that element of story but when you were describing adaptation and jaws and um like uh, casablanca casablanca uh eternal sunshine of the spotless mind like i felt like a i felt like the, the 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 adjective that came to mind was like fulfill that you know i felt you with those movies feel very satisfying mm-hmm. um in a way that these marvel movies don't i think the marvel movies are good in a lot of ways and can be um can can be great and can be very fun to watch but they don't they don't have that sort of they don't they don't satisfy me in the same ways that those other movies do and and there was like a there's like a almost a purity to what you were describing this idea of like you know really being invested in the story and seeing how this movie lay, lays out and the characters are as you said as we figured out in service of the story um you know you you invest yourself in that i think it's it's i think it's it's a, it's sort of more fulfilling and rewarding to invest yourself in a story than it is to sort of observe characters um yeah and it no that makes perfect sense and it's interesting when you talk about structure because structure on its surface sounds like something that would be predictable but really what good structure is it's the unpredictability of something that ultimately becomes predictable and to try to explain that it's like when 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 you watch a good movie and you have that sort of satisfaction feeling, it's because it ends inevitably or it goes to a place that inevitably you now, after you've seen it, could not imagine it any other way because it just sort of fits. The puzzle pieces come together. Um, but while you're watching it, those puzzle pieces don't always necessarily do that in your head. Like you don't know where that movie's going but when it gets there and those pieces sort of fit together nicely, that's where it becomes satisfying. Mm. And I feel like for Marvel and especially for this movie, it was more, it's never really about 
giving the audience that satisfaction. It's not about giving the audience that puzzle piece satisfaction. It's about giving the audience the wow satisfaction. Right. Like like the hit the big notes, the big deaths, the big action scenes. Yeah. Like the things that people are going to talk about, which is fine, but it's kind of on the surface. Good structure when those puzzle pieces come together, it's never going to be those like big deaths or, you know, the building blowing up. It's going to be it's going to be something you're not quite thinking about or you're or, or that the writer had to get or the writer or the filmmaker had to get someplace interesting to fit it together. Mm. And and that's what good that's what great structure is. And when you feel it and you see it, you're like, that's great filmmaking. That's what it's all about. Like you look at, like, for example, even taking the structure of Pulp Fiction and then in the way that Tarantino breaks it up and presents it to you. And, and then you have to then digest it back. Those pieces come together. And I'm not just talking about how it's out of order, but that's part of it. But those pieces come together in such a unique and fulfilling way that you just almost you just almost have to smile at it and go, great. It's like the the end of Casablanca. You wouldn't have like halfway through that movie, it wouldn't have been about um Rick and uh, Renoir's character coming together and finding something at the end. That's not what you're going for. But when that happens and it, it ends the way it d- does and she flies off and those two are left, that's satisfying. Mm. It works. It's a puzzle piece that comes together that you weren't quite expecting it to come together. I don't know how we got to such great movies and talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp, but it's an interesting discussion. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and like, I do think all these Marvel movies are trying to hit those bigger notes that an audience member can go, whoa, that was cool, or whoa, I can't believe this person died, or they went into the quantum realm, and did you see those little bugs? They were so tiny. Like, I think there was, there was that sort of discussion that a lot of people like to have, and not everybody's going to want to have the discussion about um, how... Charlie Kaufman's character in adaptation hates hates uh, movies going overboard with action scenes and love stories and then is able to present one like that's really clever and it's the puzzle piece fitting together I don't know like it's just because you it's because you know I, I don't want to say it's because we're like a little bit more sophisticated of a, a viewer I just think that for me at least that's what gets me going when when I'm watching movies. Stuff like this, it just it, it's exhausting. I have to try to find something to grasp onto with a movie like this because I'm not interested in whether uh, they they find um, what's her name Michelle uh, Pfeiffer's character in the end. I really don't care. I don't really understand why Lawrence Fishburne became a terrible actor in this movie. Like, you know, like I just, I don't get like, that's not the stuff that gets me interested in, 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 in film. So maybe that's why I'm like harder on these movies and I'm a Debbie Downer when it comes to this stuff. But you know, like I can, I can try to find like some interest in it and I especially like good performances and I like good jokes but 
Ant-Man and the Wasp really didn't have much of any of that. Um, the first Ant-Man, there was something to grasp onto. I don't know. Does that make any sense? But... No, totally. Um, what did you think of Evangeline Lilly in this? She's she's just kind of pl- like there. Yeah. Like there's nothing like interesting or special. It's like you could have put any number of people in that role and, and, and probably have gotten a little bit more out of it. But what was so interesting to me is that even in this second movie, the, the, the whole dynamic between Scott and hope and Hank Pym is just like, you know, hope and Hank kind of, you know, looking down their nose at, at how Scott Lang is fucked up and, and they're, you know, you know, we'll do it without you. And he's getting in the way and making trouble. And like, that's, that was the same dynamic from the first movie. And it's a, it's a, it's a familiar one to us. Right. And so it just, it, like you were saying about it becoming tired, like that, that dynamic between those three, you know, there is some, there is a romance between Paul Rudd and, and Evangeline Lilly, but like it, it, it's, it sort of doesn't make sense because they're, they are still sort of frustrated with him at how, no, and I, I don't think, in. I don't think they even knew that that made sense. Like they, it was like random times they just decided, well, we got to throw the, they got to kiss or something. Right. Cause there's like yeah. mild frustration between them for whatever reason that seems to make zero sense. And then like, uh, you know, let's have them kiss. So then that means they must be fine now. Like, I, I mean, ultimately I think it was just really like poor writing and, and then laziness from the filmmakers uh, to, to uh, just sort of continue along that trend, I'm trying to look up Peyton Reed right now. What is? What else has he done? Did he do the first Ant Man? No. He did. He yeah, did. he did. And he did like, he did. He first thing he did was Bring It On. Then he mm-hmm. did that movie Down with Love, which which kind of bombed. And then he did The Breakup, and then Yes Man. Man, they'll give anyone a Marvel movie, right? <laughs> yeah. So not a not a great. Um, not a great uh showing resume no um but yeah like i i liked what he did with ant-man i mean i i i I for the most part think uh marvel makes some bold choices in in terms of their directors and they've had a lot of success going with unlikely um seemingly unlikely uh directors and you know the, the 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 two brothers the um that did the captain america the last two Captain America movies and mm-hmm. then Avengers. I mean, they're, they're great. And they, they can't came from TV. Um, I think, uh, James Gunn who did the guardians movie. I wasn't the biggest fan of the last guardians movie, but I think it was, I enjoyed the first one. I yeah, don't think I, I didn't see the second. They're one. very original and they, you know, they're, they're allowed to take some risks, at least visually. Um, yeah, like, <laughs> I don't know. I, and I and I'm not understanding. This movie is getting better reviews than than the first one. Really? Um, it is. Yeah. I I don't, I don't really don't get it. Um. Yeah. I don't I don't get it either. And I think I think part of our frustration with why we're we're not like why we're not getting it is like I think we want to we want to go along with the ride, right? Like we want to enjoy these movies and we're not taking them too seriously. I know we just had like a big discussion about some of the best movies ever made, but that was just to compare and contrast. But like when I go into Ant-Man, I'm not looking for it to be 
Jaws or Casablanca no, or Pulp Fiction or not, anything no. like that. No, <laughs> I I just want it to uh, be serviceable and to enjoy my time. And I don't want to walk away from it being like, what was the point on any level? What was the point of me being there? What was the point of all those actors seeming to sleepwalk <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne yeah. through this movie? And then this, and then what's the point for Peyton Reed to take a movie that he did a pretty good job with with Ant Man, and then do this, and then to have all all the critics say, "Hey, no, this is good too. Way to go, keep it going." It's never, I don't know. Like again, I don't have an answer. I just feel like we all got caught up in a big waste of time and money. In the right hands, the relationship between man and suit is symbiotic. The suit has power. The man harnesses that power. You need to be skillful, agile, and above all, you need to be fast. You should be able to shrink and grow on a dime. So your size always suits your needs. All right, Chapin. So I, I do have a question for you that's like <laughs> been nagging me a little bit, and it's it's these like sort of historically great actors, these legendary actors doing movies like this. Like I, I wonder like, would Paul Newman be in an Ant-Man versus the Wasp right now? Right. Like in, in 10 years is Daniel day Lewis going to be in some, you know, Avengers movie. Robert Redford was in the, the second captain America movie. Exactly. And there's nothing wrong with it. And it's just like, and and it sort of does harken back to this this idea uh, of um, movie stars, which has changed. And I guess we could talk a little bit about that. There's very few like movie stars anymore. Like I really doubt you're going to see Tom Cruise or Leonardo DiCaprio uh, wear a cape ever in their career, unless it's for a P.T. Anderson or a Tarantino movie. Yeah. Um, but. I don't know. I just it always takes me aback a little bit to see the Michael Douglases of the world um, doing movies like this. And there's nothing wrong with it inherently, but I wonder if the stigmatism and and you could talk about this with television too now because the stigmatism of that is long gone, right? Uh, as far as movie stars doing something like that, um, you know, it used to be like, oh crap, you know. And not that this is a terrible, terrible movie, although we just kind of talked about it being one. But like, you know, if you, it, back in the day when there was less movies coming out and, and movies were a bigger thing, if if a big actor, if John Wayne's doing some sort of, uh, you know, movie that he wouldn't normally do, you go, oh, crap, John Wayne's career's over, you know? And now it's just like, well, that's what they're doing now. Even if the movie fails and was terrible which you know this movie didn't fail and it's getting good reviews but say it was a, just a uh, a huge bomb it doesn't seem to matter you just cross it off the list you go to the next one like the rock's career the past five years yeah uh that's a great question i i think people like michael douglas do these movies because they don't get offered a whole lot i mean he's an older man right he's a great he was a a great star i think he's a great actor and has made some great movies in his lifetime, but he's older now and he isn't offered the same kind of roles as, um, as I'm sure he was. Um, 
And I, I mean, it's a shame because she still looks great. And I think she is a great actress. Uh, she was one of the shining moments um, in an otherwise pretty bad movie in um, Darren Aronofsky's mother um, earlier uh, in late 2017. But uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, too. I mean, right. I think, you know, women, especially when they get older, are, fam- are you know, very um, uh, they aren't well, they, they don't get their roles they don't get the roles, disappear. Yeah. yeah. Like there's only, there can really only be like a, a couple Meryl Streep's for example. Um, and is so, she, what she cloned? Yeah. I don't know. No, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, people who have, who have that same level of, of being able, I mean, Meryl Streep doesn't seem to be suffering from a lack of, of roles, but there's yeah, only, that, there's few that, of them, right? That Mamma Mia sequel is going to yeah. propel her. Yeah. Uh, oh, she's not in that one. She she refused to be in it. So she's even Smart. able to turn down the shit rolls. Smart. Um, but like, also, I wonder if there if there's a feeling that um, you know these are the movies of our times. I mean, I don't I don't think people are stupid enough to think these are the movies we read about in you know Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, the movies of the seventies when the when directors you know reigned over everything and the Godfathers and the uh, you know, the Jack Nicholson movies. I don't think people think... Well, there's a guy right there, Jack Nicholson. Like, he hasn't really... Does he do... Like, does he... All right, I'm looking at his movies. The Departed, The Bucket List, I guess there's... Uh, I'm Still Here. I don't even remember what that was. I mean, I think he's still a movie star. I think he, oh, people still the, go yeah. see his movies because Jack Nicholson is in them, but he hasn't been in anything for a while, I think. He hasn't been in anything since 2010. Yeah, so that's a long time. I mean... Uh, and I think you know he's of a similar age of Michael Douglas. He might be a little older, actually. But you know, like, I, I, yeah. I but I have the same question. I wonder, like, why even go to work? I mean, it looks like. I mean, I you would imagine Michael Douglas has plenty of money. Um, and right. as far as the question about The Rock, I mean, I think The Rock. Th- those are the type of movies he makes, you know. And um, I think he's still finding his foot footing I, I i i would love to see him go back to like now that he's got more power as a as a as a as an actor i'd love to see him go do you know tackle some more dramatic roles and see if he can get something made um that's a little more interesting that's you mentioned you know leo that's one thing i've always admired about him he was kind of the he's kind of the new tom cruise and that like he he makes you he makes good movies you know like consistently he makes he makes movies that you want to go see. He doesn't make movies for paychecks. And um, I remember that, you know, in, in, in uh, when you make $20 million a movie, I guess you don't have to. You don't have to, right. But he's taking pay cuts. I mean, he didn't get that for um, that uh, that uh, revolutionary road, for example. And I mean, mm. you know, who knows what he, yeah, he, he gets paid quite well, but I think he's still selective about what he does. He still only does a movie every couple of years because he, you know, doesn't, it's not all about the money for him. And when he does do it, like you said, he gets paid well for it. And I think that's, those are, those are two sort of self-fulfilling prophecies. Like the, uh, he makes great movies and thus he sort of, he doesn't dilute his brand, you know, like the rocks made three movies this year. And I think people, you know, this came out, uh, that his skyscraper movie came out and kind yeah, and of, you can't even tell really the difference between well. them, yeah, right? Exactly, like one right. has a, uh, ape, that's on a skyscraper that he has to beat up with a missing a leg, I think. 
right the plot yeah yeah something like that and then it's in a video game right no these are all these are all blending together and that's it's like it's just diluted right like his star power is diluted and and you can't say about The Rock what you can about Leo. You can't guarantee that when that you go to a movie with The Rock in it, it's going to be a great movie. And with Leo, he makes the type of choices that um, that allow him to do that. He only works with the top directors and only on scripts and, and projects that are interesting. And do you, I mean, obviously Leo is one of the last remaining movie stars, but do you think that the the phasing out of the legendary sort of movie star is... A good thing or a bad thing? I mean, the day of YouTube and Netflix and all, all everything that we have to watch. The the pie has not changed, but the pieces keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, do you think it's a good thing because it gets a like you know a lot more people get to work and you spread it out a little bit, or do you miss the days of having your legendary movie stars? Or are they not gone? Am I reading it wrong? I, I no, I mean I think you're absolutely right. I think um, I, I I think if I thought about it for a while, it's it's probably a good thing. I'm not really sure why, but I don't like it. Um, I like the movie stars. I like the power they bring to movies, and I like the their ability to elevate movies with with that power. You know, um, right? Tom Cruise in the 2000s and the late 1990s he was he was untouchable in terms of his box office and you know like sort of like in the same camp as tom hanks and they could just they just were able to get really great movies made um and they would only work with with the great directors and i think you know you i've been since we've been looking back at a couple spielberg movies i've been focusing back on spielberg and even spielberg has trouble getting movies made you know greenlit I mean, he's probably mm-hmm. the most powerful single person in Hollywood, but still, he can't just go out and make whatever he wants to make. But These things have the, to come together. On the other side of the coin, now you have so many, like, yes, yeah, Spielberg's having trouble, and Leo's having trouble, and, like, there's projects that have been waiting in the wings forever that all these guys want to do, but then you have also so many more projects being made, and all these other people that in the past never have gotten a chance are making making projects so it's really an interesting duality between the ultra powerful and famous and the people that are trying to make a name for themselves and now have the platform to do it i i totally agree i think i I, I, the only thing i would disagree with you about is where it's happening i think it's happening on streaming networks and tv it's um and and it's not just tv it's you know it's movies too but most of that stuff is being done um, on on the on the smaller screen, which you know, like you could argue, what's the real, what's really the difference anymore? Um, but I think that those like hundred million dollar, mo- you know, I, I like really in my mind, the the perfect movie is that big budget, you know, no punches pulled with a big movie star and a great director and a great script, like you've talked about with structure and um, story and, you know, something that's really been, had a lot invested into it. That's the kind, you know, when everything works well, that's the greatest kind of movie there is. Yeah. And it still exists. Obviously we, we see a Leo movies coming out and we're going to go see it. We see a Tarantino movie or a PTA movie or Daniel day Lewis movie, you know, we're going to be like, that's going to pique our interest at least to put it onto our radar almost immediately. So that that's the power of being like being a star and i'm sure we're gonna 
we're going to review the new Mission Impossible movie because we all love Tom Cruise and he's the best runner in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, I think I think a great example of what we're talking about is like you look at a movie like like The Revenant, you know, and um, from all accounts, it was kind of made irresponsibly. Uh, they went out and they like shot it in order and they did all these crazy things. And, you know, all, on all fronts, I'm sure when 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 reports were getting back to the studio, people were like, this is crazy. Like, we should shut this down. We shouldn't make movies like this. This is insane. And I think the budget like, you know, doubled and it was never supposed to cost what it did. But you yeah. can you can sit there being like, we have the most popular movie star in the world. And so, you know. That's a that's a, a chit we can hold on to, and we can we can we can take risks because we've got Leo, um, and that's that's like that's what you should be doing with a movie star. For sure, for sure, you shouldn't be forcing Lawrence Fishburne into being in a movie he clearly didn't want to be in. No, it's like you. I wonder about these these like I call them like divorce movies, like they're just doing it to pay their alimony, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're going to take this moment to plug ourselves. And because this episode is running just a little bit short, we might as well fill that time with a little bit more stuff. But we got an email about the quick fix we released last week. Um, after our Sicario podcast, we put out a little bit of a um, kind of a short episode on Jurassic Park, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Um, the email read, this is a great way to review some new fi- Sorry. Uh, hey guys, I really enjoy the recent Quick Fix episode on Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. This is a great way to review new films, particularly ones that don't warrant a full episode or ones that not every host had the chance to see. I hope, I hope you keep them up. Also really enjoying the retrospective episodes too. Uh, thanks for the great podcast and keep up the wonderful work. And that person wanted to remain anonymous, which is fine. Um, so yeah, we're going to hopefully put out more of these quick fixes when the podcast run long and we have, uh, you know, more to talk about, but, um, that's an interesting thing also about the, about the retrospectives. Um, the one we've, <laughs> the one d- director we've done so far, that episode has not performed particularly well, Jeremy, but, um, mm-hmm. we do want to do some more. Um, I think we've got Fincher hopefully coming up soon. Um, but yeah, if you, if there's anybody you'd like us to do a podcast on, you can email us at feedback at get your film and yeah, we'll read it online. I think another exciting thing to think about in terms of plugging ourselves is that we do still have a pretty small following as much as we like to um, boast about ourselves. And so you can really have an impact in helping us, you know, grow this little thing. Um, so again, what's all the things we ask you to do? Rate, review, subscribe, but also, you know, just recommend it to a friend or, um, you know, post on Instagram, even on your stories or something that you're listening to it. Um, let tag us, us. Yeah. Tag us. Let us know that you're doing it. We like to, we like to see that. And yeah. You got anything to add, Jeremy? No, I think, um, I think you do a great job and I just would love to see people, uh, write in because like you said, we would love to read them on the podcast and then comment on them, yep. you know, whether you, whether you like us or not. I mean, either way, we would love to hear, hear the feedback and comment on it. Wait, wait, wait. Stop. Wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Because I've been thinking. I mean, this thing's in my blood. So maybe there's some way I can transfer it to you. I've tried everything. It doesn't work. I mean, have you, you know, tried all, all the options? Oh, you mean sex? Yeah, tried it. How many times? All right.
this week, in honor of Ant-Man and the Wasp, we are doing our top five duos, male-female duos in film. And surprisingly, this was difficult um, because I had a few criteria. I don't know about you, Chapin, but basically for me, it wasn't necessarily about a romantic relationship. They kind of had to be on equal footing. And it had to be a duo. And it's actually kind of surprisingly difficult to find just two of them. Yeah. Um, um, did you have any criteria? I, 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 I wish I could have done the didn't have a rom- I, I wish I could do this without these people having romantic. Um, no, I said it can't be the it couldn't it can't be, be the, the only uh, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So, yeah. So mine were the same. Um, I, I, I had a couple where I was like, you know, I, I, what I really wanted to avoid was sort of diluting the power of a female protagonist with a with a man a sort of a, a man that, that wasn't like you said on equal footing and so i tried to my best to avoid that but um yeah i agree all right uh i'll kick it off that being said and i haven't seen this movie for years but i do remember uh that they both had to pull their weight um one because they she was just caught in the situation and had to deal with it and the other because he had to help her and everyone get out of it. And it is Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock, Jack and Annie in speed. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, he's got a little more badassness in him than she does, but yeah, she, she drives the bus. So like, yeah, she's, she's pretty important. Okay. My number five, um, this is a, this is a tough one. It really is only in one or two scenes that, that the the female in this case really proves her metal, but she's really his legs literally, and that's Grace Kelly and Jimmy Stewart in Rear Window. Oh, that's a great one because I I wanted to put a Hitchcock movie on this, um, and uh, yeah, I guess I didn't think of it like that. I kind of thought of it as the romantic, oh, like. But you're right; she does have to be his legs there uh, for a while. I mean, we talked about it la- last week with our Jaws follow-up and, like, that idea of that the sort of the neutered, you know, male protagonist. And Jimmy right. Stewart is is so much that way. He can't move. He can't really do anything. And so she's got to be, you know, his... Yeah, and she's the one who goes and, yeah, like you said, uh, sneaks into the other people's apartments. Yeah. And, yeah. No, that's a good pick. Uh, my number four is... Wally and Eve from Wally. Oh, that's a good one. That's a great movie. <clears throat> it is a great movie, and anytime we get to put it on the list, um, I think that's a good thing. But uh, yeah, that talk about equals. I mean, I would say Eve is actually the more, uh, more of the aggressor sure. of the two. She um, seems to be smarter and slicker, certainly. Smarter, slicker, uh, more in charge. So uh, there you go. My number four. All right, my number four is. <laughs> It's a movie that I've always liked that I feel a little weird for liking because, um, as you'll you'll find out, but um, I, I I think it's really great and it speaks to the it, the director Doug Lyman and that's uh, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. They've got great thought, chemistry, um, and yeah. Doug Lyman knows what to do with it in this movie. Yeah, I have actually never seen that movie, so I couldn't put it on my list, but. Um... I've heard that, and I want to see it. Like, I want to see what this great chemistry is that started this whole relationship. Um, all right, so on to number threes. And this was what I was thinking about calling my memorial list, but it was too difficult. Um, 
to leave it off, and it is Bonnie and Clyde, number yeah. three. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's a great one. Uh, that's a really good one. I don't have anything to say about that. Um, kind of the quintessential, sort of the first one you think of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that brings me to my, the first one that I thought of, and I'm not. You know, we should maybe have like a like a number six or like a sub a sub category for you know what's the first movie that comes to, t- to mind once the category is decided on because you know a lot of people don't know we sort of text back and forth and try to figure out what the top five is and sometimes it comes down to the wire but but the first one that came to, to my mind when we talked about this was uh carrie grant and rosalind russell in his girl friday yep that's another one that that's a movie i need to revisit like i just didn't feel comfortable enough to be like i, I feel like if i put that on the list it would be because I knew it was supposed to be on the list. Yeah. 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 Um, I think I, yeah, I don't, to, to, to our early discussion about structure and plot, I don't remember much about what this is about, but I, I just remember being blown away by their kind of verbal repartee, the kind of back and forth mm-hmm. between them. That was so really, really amazing. Um, at the time. All right. On to number two. And these two actually only share the screen for, maybe 10, 15 minutes, famously short amount of time, but it is Clarice Sterling and Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. Oh, that's great. I wanted to put Clarice Sterling on here, but I was like, can, can I do that? No, that's a really good pick. That's because a... they need each other to yeah. figure this out. Yeah. They work together. That's true. Yeah, that is, that's they, really good. And weirdly, they are on equal footing. Yeah. Although one of them would eat the other's foot. If given the chance. Right. Well, he would never be that rude. That's what she says. Um, Okay. So my number two is Maddie Ross and Rooster Cockburn in True Grit. Uh, I knew there was one I was forgetting. That's a great pick. Which version? The 2010. I haven't seen the older one. Um, Uh, I, I wasn't even. I need to revisit this movie because it had all the elements of a movie I would love. But but I for some reason just Jeff did Bridges that. with the cowboy hat yeah at the beginning of that right um, and I just did not respond much to it when I first saw it so I need to see it again um, but I remember loving just absolutely loving um, Haley Steinfeld in this and uh, yeah you guys reviewed that on the podcast didn't you I yeah we did yeah. wow we've been doing it that long Jesus um. Yeah, no, it's a, it's it's a great pick, and I really wanted to find myself putting um, a, a movie of that age uh, on the list, but um, I guess I I couldn't think of it. Yeah, and I wanted a John Wayne on the list, but then other than True Grit, he really doesn't have any sort of uh, female equal, no, or of course not. Yeah. All right, so what are we on to? We're on to my number one, number one. already. Um, where is my number one? All right, here we go. Oh, yes, that's what it is. Uh, it's Leon and Matilda in The Professional. Yep, yep. Thought of it? I did think of it, yeah. I did think of it. Uh, another one like True Grit, where it's an older guy and a younger girl who have to find a way to navigate some pretty terrible circumstances. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a great one. Um, okay. My number one is 
The classic. Mulder and Scully from The X-Files. The movie. Yeah, sure. If we're only doing movies. <laughs> the two <laughs> movies. The two movies that they did. Um, yeah, I mean, they... They are... Uh, they're a good. They're a good pair. They're a good pair. Um, I, I I didn't get into the TV show as much. I started watching it. It's just like, it, it amazes me that in the you know we you you talk about you just mentioned earlier, Jeremy, about how much more stuff is being made, and you're absolutely right. But um, we forget about the days uh, in the early '90s when they had to make 24 one-hour episodes of the X Files a year, and there were like 10 seasons of it, and a lot of Jeez. shows did that. Um, so there's oh, a lot of exhausting. content, right? I mean, you're you're working on a TV show right now. Imagine doing yeah. 24 episodes. No thanks. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, I it, I think it, at least it used to be all available on Netflix, and I started watching it, and I, I liked it a lot. But um, I I responded. I, I like the movies a lot too, um, and they have really good chemistry. And they they started they made the new uh, the new show too, which I started watching, but never really, never really finished. Never never got into it. No. Well. Um, I have never seen the movies. Feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. Yeah, you're going to get some nerds. Yeah. And uh, and also David Duchovny. Jeez, that guy doesn't... Neither of those two age very much. No, not at all. I mean, that's crazy. They both look pretty good. It must be all that alien magic. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. We missed Lee... Uh, hopefully he will, you know, get his heart back into the podcast as we'd like and, you know, get stay focused and find a better place to vacation next time. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.